I'm Victoria Doherty, and welcome to the cold. Cold is the way revenge is best served, the way a war was fought, and the way a story should be told. And for our intents and purposes, it is the Storyteller's Church, where we talk about story in all of its incarnations. We we talk about the fictional stories that we love to read as readers, that we love to write as fiction writers and um, and the nonfiction stories that capture our attention and about family lore. And this week, this week I want to talk about community lore because, uh, you know, it's going to be a very fun, uh, <laughs> a fun story that we're discussing this week and one I think that will resonate um, in a, a variety of ways with all of us. Um, first, let me start by saying that one of my husband's friends, one of his oldest friends from St. Louis visited us last weekend. And um, that was really fun because Matt is just so sharp and so funny. Uh, he's he's a geographer by trade. And, you know, like, like my husband, a former Catholic schoolboy, but he has become deeply immersed in Chinese medicine and Eastern religions. And um, apart from wanting to visit his old buddy Jack, my husband, his interest um, in spiritualism is what brought him to Virginia. There was this um, Wu Mastery I, seminar, I hope I got that right, but uh, anyway, it's relating to Eastern philosophy and, and it was at a local yoga retreat and, and Matt had been invited. and. What was so great about his visit um, wasn't just that we got to share a meal and reminisce with, you know, this great guy who my guy has been hanging around with since seventh grade, but that in welcoming Matt into our house, we got the whole city of St. Louis as a bonus. Um, (laughs) Being from St. Louis is a trip. Um, I love the place. I should qualify this by saying that I'm not from St. Louis, although I did live there for a number of years around the time my husband, my, excuse me, my husband and I got married, um, because, well, because Jack's from St. Louis and we're both from the, the Midwest, I'm, I'm sort of St. Louis adjacent and have been welcomed into the tribe and let in on all of its secrets and idiosyncrasies, um, and that is great fun because St. Louis is a place that is uniquely suited to community lore. Um, What is wild about the Gateway of the West, as it's called, um, is that it's not just a city, it's a world unto itself. And one that's only vaguely interested in your world if you live outside St. Louis And, you know, despite this entire metro area boasting some, you know, almost 3 million residents, I think it's like 2.8 million residents, it feels like a small town. And everyone who grew up there knows each other through someone, somehow, and I mean everyone. Now, part of the reason for this um, is that Despite its size, I mean, St. Louis is generally a city that people who aren't from there don't move to, um, and people who are from there don't move away from. It is a place that is of St. Louis, by St. Louis, 
and for St. Louis. And that seems rare in this day and age. Um, as I said, you know, especially for a place of that size, you can grab a random stranger on the street by the arm and within 22 seconds have established that you know at least three of the same people, uh, have family in each other's neighborhoods, attended the same wedding 10 years ago, and you know, you probably got your dog from the same breeder. The, um, the local TV anchors and the disc jockeys and the sports announcers are all treated by St. Louisans as if they're, you know, on par with global celebrities like, you know, Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Prince Harry. And St. Louis products and businesses are elevated in a similar manner. And in my humble opinion, that's the way it should be. Um, when... Well, case in point, okay. When we bought a minivan a few years back, my husband slapped a KC95 sticker right front and right center on its bumper, announcing to the world that we were fans of St. Louis's oldest rock and roll station. Now, I was confused for a number of reasons. The first being the most obvious that we live in Virginia and at that point had for over a decade, but also my husband has this particular disdain for bumper stickers. We don't do political slogans or the life's a beach vacation magnets or even proclamations of how much we heart our Boston Terrier, even though we do. We don't do any of that. So on top of that, I said, you know, you hate Keishi because he's also a music snob who favors jazz over classic rock and basically favors jazz over everything. But, but, Keishi is legendary in St. Louis. Only on Keishi can you hear songs like Missouri's Moving On, a song I didn't even know until I moved to Missouri, and the most obscure tunes from, like, say, Boston's Don't Look Back album. And you can hear them on a regular basis. And every Sunday at noon, the longtime DJs, uh, this guy named Mark Close and John Human Hewlett, um, have this one-hour show called The Vinyl Exam, where it, they play songs from their favorite rock and roll albums of all time. And since they're both creeping up on some 50 years at KC now, their favorite um, their favorites are these time-honored selections like Hearts, Dreamboat Annie, and Ario Speedwagons. You can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish, right? And they can talk about them with this encyclopedic knowledge. I mean, truly, no algorithm could come up with Keishi's particular brand. It's a format and playlist so committed to maintaining its roots that it actually sounds original to outsiders, like it's made to be this, you know, interesting vintage station, yet remains beloved by legacy listeners who are just thrilled that it hasn't changed one bit. And this is, again, it's like a uniquely St. Louis experience in many ways and you know within weeks of driving around with that Keishi pig because there's the pig is its logo um a pig head um I, it, on the back of our minivan you know I, I realized that my husband's real intentions 
for having this on the back of our car was to attract other St. Louisans. And sure enough, wherever we traveled, our KC bumper sticker attracted notice from past and current uh, people from that area. Always, always prompting a conversation. And, you know, the inevitable, oh my God, you went to Chaminade High School? Up, oh, yep, my cousin's parish was was St. Anne's. And, oh man, you knew Dewey? <sighs> Last time I saw him was at Ted Drew's and son of a bitch had a Cubs cap on. Yeah, his wife's from Chicago, I guess. You know, stuff like that. And, I mean, case in point here, even, even when we moved to Virginia, it turned out our next door neighbor had these deep family connections in St. Louis. And, yes... My husband knew her cousin. They'd gone to the same high school for the love of God, and we didn't even need a Casey bumper sticker for that one. But I digress. Sort of. The point is, St. Louis is more than just a city. It's a mythology. People from there talk about it the way the classical Greeks talked about their gods, you know, in this up-close and personal manner that mixes pride and gossip with mean jabs and, and hero worship, and that assumes St. Louis is the only place in the world really worth talking about. And from the moment Matt sat down in our living room, he and Jack fell right back into that way that St. Louis lifers have of talking. Um, the one that seamlessly mixes personal tales with history and lore and, you know, stories that are part of our greater consciousness. You know, there were little things like, oh, you know, three of my brothers dated four of your dad's sisters. You know, he told our kids that, just captivating them with the peculiar dynamics of big families in small neighborhoods where everyone dates each other, marries each other, loves and hates each other. And as the stories continued, the ordinary and the extraordinary jumped and jumbled like a game of double dutch. And although I knew most of the characters involved, you know, even I had a hard time keeping them straight. Um, you know, at one time, Matt says, yeah, you know, you know my brother was married to John Hamm's sister for like 25 years, right? Um, this is John Hamm of the actor. And I didn't know that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, he came in for a wedding a while back, and my mom comes up behind him and messes up his hair. She's 89 years old, and she's like, hey, Johnny! You know, he went to Burroughs. Now, that footnote, that he went to Burroughs, right, um... The footnote of where John Hamm went to high school is important information for a St. Louisan. It is critical. Where'd you go to high school is a stock question in reference to any local you're talking with or about. In fact, if you ever meet a St. Louisan out and about um, and you say to them, okay, where'd you go to high school? They'll burst out laughing because they'll know exactly what you're talking about. Um, because a St. Louis native will never ask you where you went to college because the focus is on the St. Louis experience. Um, it's, it's why the Harvard grad who just has to let you know his alma mater within 60 seconds of meeting you will get absolutely no respect in the loo. But if he said he went to St. Louis Priory School, that would be saying something. From a civic perspective, I mean, I think this makes perfect sense. 
the metro area high schools, both public and private, and by the way, you don't have to be rich to go to a private school there. There are a lot of Catholic uh, parish schools. So, um, you know, there are plenty of people who are, you know, working class who go to private schools, which is a little bit unusual, I think. But um, all of these metro area high schools have their very own brands that they've spent kind of decades refining and ones that tell so much more about a person than just whether they're, you know, what their social class is or whether they're smart. I mean, they, they explain what their parents were like and often what their parents' parents were like and what their character and values might be, their talents and interests, and, you know, even in some cases, whether they're attractive or not, because there are schools known for their attractive people and, and others known for less so, right? So the mention of Burroughs telegraphed that John Hamm was okay, you know, and it also uh, telegraphed that he was probably progressive and bright and the rare type of local who was most likely to leave St. Louis. Now, all of which, at least on the surface, appear to be true. So see, the fact that he went to Burroughs kind of did tell us a lot about him. Um, And I should also point out that the mention of this famous actor, which could be an epic name drop in any other context, was treated simply as one feature in a larger, richer, collection of St. Louis trivia. Um, My husband had never even mentioned to me that Matt was related to John Hamm by marriage during all the years we watched Mad Men together, but he did tell me that John was from St. Louis and went to Burroughs. You see what I mean? Now, here's where we get to the really juicy part of the community lore. Um, The most dramatic and truly sensational tale told last Saturday night was without question the one of the exorcist boy of St. Louis. Yes, the story of that possessed kid made legendary in the 1973 film The Exorcist Exorcist, starring Linda Blair was actually based on a boy whose exorcism in 1949 took place only a few minutes walk from where Jack and Matt and John Hamm grew up. Um, it's, it's at a place technically known as St. Vincent's, but that locals called the Old Normandy Hospital. And it looks exactly as you'd imagine. It is like this creepy, imposing, castle-like structure founded by the Sisters of Charity in the mid-1860s for the treatment of nervous and mental diseases. Now, it's now a nursing home, um, but back then, um, it, you know, high schoolers like Matt and, and Jack used to sneak in there all the time, and that was back when it was still abandoned. And anyway, Matt kind of mixed in together stories of his own from sneaking in there with the actual story of the exorcist boy and it was absolutely fascinating now there's this version of events you can find in a basic google search about the exorcist boy and then there's the one i'm gonna tell you as told to me by matt that one is steeped in community lore that i believe tells a more complete story now by more complete i don't necessarily mean true although it may be I mean a story that reveals a lot about the people telling it and spreading it. 
It shows us their hopes and their fears and their nightmares. St. Louis, after all, is a very Catholic town, and The Exorcist is a very Catholic story. It tells us how they feel about who they are and what they think of their friends and neighbors and mentors, how they feel about the architecture around them. Um, St. Louis really does have some very glorious old architecture. I would say, you know, the old old Normandy Hospital included, although it's not really a place I would want to visit. That place is cursed, Matt said. They turned to my husband. He was like, remember that time there was like 20 of us going in there to drink? And man, that was traumatic. Oh, horrible, my husband concurred. You know, they were climbing over this eight-foot fence to break into an old hospital when, in a freak accident, one of their friends, who I also know, Christine, she got her class ring caught on a spire in the fence, and she lost her footing and fell to the ground, and it tore her ring finger right off. I mean, absolutely horrible. We took her to the new Normandy Hospital, Matt said, you know, which is like taking her to a butcher shop, but what choice did we have? And when we got there, the doctors were like, where's the finger? And we didn't know we were supposed to bring it, so they give me and Whitey a box with ice in it, and we've got to go back to that creepy place and find it. Well, they were successful, plucking the appendage out from under some bushes and and Christine's finger was ultimately reattached, but unfortunately, as is often the case, it didn't take and it had to be removed again, which was just more evidence that the place was plain evil. And then Matt continued, and this is where it gets really juicy. <laughs> then, when I was a freshman at St. Louis University, I took a class from Father John Walsh. He said, he said it like almost in a whisper. We got close, he and I, and he was so cool. I mean, he used to protest with Jane Fonda and shit. Anyway, he was best friends with the priest who did the exorcism and knew all about what really happened, and he told me the whole story. So, according to Matt, Father John Walsh claimed that the possessed boy's tongue would stretch three to five feet out of his mouth and slap the priests in the face while they were reading from the Bible, you know, in their efforts to cast out the demon. Now, this part wasn't in the movie, but Father John said it happened a lot and freaked the shit out of everyone there. I mean, he didn't say freak the shit, those are my words, but it was really disturbing, Matt said. I actually wrote all this down. (laughs) I was taking notes while he was telling this story. Um, Obscenities would appear on the boy's body, as well as images like a pitchfork that would, you know, like travel up and down his leg, and they looked like they had been scratched onto his skin with a knife. And blood would appear you know, like he'd been cut, and it would stay there for hours and then just disappear without a trace. You know, these, you know, deep cuts, they look like deep cuts into this boy's body would just go away. And like in the movie, the furniture would shake and it would levitate, and the boy's voice would change, sounding low and demonic, and then he would cackle wildly and frequently. Then Matt said that uh, words in Aramaic 
or some other old language, he didn't remember which one it was, would appear in blood on the walls of the hospital during the exorcism. And even years after, they could never bring the temperature up to normal in that place, no matter how much they cranked up the heat. And sometimes the walls would just start to sweat for no reason, and the words used to that would that used to appear in blood during the exorcism, they would appear again, but like in the damp of the plaster, like if you write with your finger on a foggy window. Now, the fact that the building had been sold, remodeled, and turned into a nursing home just added more fodder to the urban legends surrounding it, especially since. Uh, the movie The Exorcist 3 was set in a nursing home and written long before the old Normandy hospital was turned into one. And, you know, that fact itself seemed prophetic in the worst sort of way. And then Matt, you know, told us how you know, the end of the exorcism wasn't nearly as dramatic as in the film. Um, the priest just pretty much wore the demon out and it left and never came back. And the kid went home to Maryland after that and had a nor normal life. And this whole Maryland connection completely threw me for a loop because we'd just been, you know, we just spent the better part of an hour establishing that the story originated down the street from where Matt and Jack had grown up and not in the Washington, D.C. metro area where the film had been set. I thought the boy was from St. Louis, I said. Well, he had close relatives in St. Louis, grandparents, I think, Matt told me. But the way he got there to be exercised was really effed up. When the kids started having all these problems and acting like a psycho, they took him to Georgetown Hospital at first to be evaluated. They did all of these tests, and while he was there, these welts started to appear on his body, like this really bad rash. But they all clearly were in the form of words. I mean, you couldn't mistake it. What did it say, I asked. Matt adjusted his hat and he scratched his beard and he leaned forward and he looked me right in the eyes. It said, go to St. Louis. I just about died. I mean, I thought that was just the funniest thing. And it, it so captured, um, well, everything that I had said about St. Louis and the lore there and how it all comes back to St. Louis. But I think it also, is a great story that shows you how, you know, a kind of real life story can inspire someone, in this case, William Peter Blatty, who wrote The Exorcist, you know, to write a, um, a fiction that resonates with the greater public and, um, and also tells a greater story that tells a story about family, that tells a story about adolescence and how your child can suddenly change and they're, 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 you know, they, they seem like they've been possessed by something, but also tell this very religious story about this very religious town, this very Catholic town. And that's why I wanted to share that with you this week, which, um, anyway, I hope you've enjoyed it. And I would love to hear stories of your community lore. If you have any that you want to share and put in the comments, um, 
As always, there are links to my fiction in the story notes, and I will also, and there's also a link to uh, the blog post that I wrote about this on my blog, Cold, and there you can see pictures. You know, you can see pictures of the real um, boy who this is based on. He died in 2020, and before that, they wouldn't release his name, but after, but since he's gone now, they did release his name. There's a picture of the old Normandy Hospital. Um, kind of as it is today, I think, definitely post its renovation, but you can see how it would have looked um, before it was renovated and how scary and imposing it would have looked. So do check those out. And in the meantime, stay cold, my friends, and just make sure not to get possessed by any demons. Mm -hmm.